We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. If by chance you're new here, I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated over on Fan Nation. Welcome into a Friday edition of our podcast. We're doing a live show uh, right now. So if you guys are listening either on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or if you're joining us here live on YouTube, at youtube.com slash Oregon football, Max Torres. Thanks for taking some time out of your day. We so appreciate you talking some ducks with us today. Um, in this episode, we want to primarily try to focus on um, doing some uh, questions from, from you guys, the, the viewers and the listeners. Um, so if you're here on YouTube live, definitely go in that live chat and, and throw some questions our way and we will do the best that we can to answer them. I am joined on this episode of the podcast by a good friend of mine, uh, someone I haven't talked to in, in quite a bit. He was uh, out there in the Oregon sports world with me. That is former KWVA sports director, Sean McPherson. Sean, how are we doing, buddy? Thanks for being here. My pleasure, Max. And I wish I could show everyone my face, but we're having some camera issues, so the avatar will have to do, but uh, super excited to do this with you. It's been yeah, a while. Man. It's been a while since I've talked about the Ducks. I graduated in December, and... It's been a couple of months, but excited to to dust the cobwebs off. Definitely, man. I mean, we're I'm right there with you, and I wish the camera was cooperating with us today. But uh, we got we got your picture there, so we can kind of see what you look like at least. And and we're just happy to be joined by you here. So um, yeah, man. Back in the the you know the duck world of things, you know, I, when we were in football season, I saw you out there at the pressers, you know, all the time. So. You were uh, you were very entrenched uh, in you know the the Oregon sports world and particularly football, which is something we're going to be talking about quite a bit today. But before we get into football and you know some of the the questions that are starting to roll in in the comments section, uh, let's talk about some Oregon hoops because the Ducks were able to take home a big win on the road in Boulder against Colorado last night, sixty six to fifty one. That's a big win for the program, and, and we're going to talk about it. So what, what are kind of some of your your uh, initial thoughts on the Ducks being able to take that one home? Well, the curse has been lifted, finally. The Ducks had never won in Colorado Boulder for some reason. Of course, you know, Colorado joins the conference more or less about a decade ago, and Oregon, for whatever reason, just had never won there. So they go into Boulder last night, and they get a rather dominant victory. Uh, they were struggling a little bit in the first half, but they ended the first half really strong, was able to go into – 
halftime with a lead and then just completely dominant in the second half, especially defensively. The Ducks ended up with 12 steals. They allowed just 22 shots in the second half, 22 shots, not points, shots. Uh, they, they won the second half 30 to 16. Uh, Jacob Young, 21 points. Will Richardson had five of the team's 12 steals. And now, Max, I mean, Oregon, they're right on the bubble. So as of right now, they're on the bubble. That could change. They still play Arizona a couple times this year, who's the best team in the conference right now. They still got the L.A. schools. So some chances for some big victories. But as of right now, they're right on the bubble. And so every win is needed. And they really needed that one last night in Boulder. So glad they got it. You mentioned the the 12 steals, I believe it was, for from the Ducks uh, in that game. I think that that speaks a lot about, you know, the identity uh, of the Dana Altman program um, and the, the versions of the team that we've seen over the years here in Eugene. I feel like they've always been uh, really kind of spearheaded or they, they get sparked by really good defense and then turning that defense in, into offense, um, you know, on the other end, right? So uh, you talked about Jacob Young having a, a great game, finishing with 21 points uh, on 8 of 17 shooting. I think that was big for him to have, you know, as a player, seeing that he had a, a bit of a rough game the last time the Ducks played uh, the Buffs here at home in Eugene at Matthew Knight Arena. So he bounces back. Uh, Sean, and one thing I want to ask you about is, is kind of the, uh, the offensive identity and, and the chemistry that we've seen uh, from this team. Because I think, you know, early on and even in spurts a little bit recently, it feels like they're not always on the same page and um, I'm not sure that uh, they're kind of where they want to be as far as gelling as a unit and maybe playing more of that team basketball that you want to see. Yeah, well, it's definitely gotten better. Uh, you know, you see it in flashes, of course. You go back to that Washington game that the offense was a complete blitz uh, on the Huskies. You go back to last night and the offense looked pretty solid. You know, they won that game defensively last night, but the offense did its part as well. And to see Jacob Young, you know, you, you think of this team, you usually think of Will Richardson or, you know, an Eric Williams Jr. or Davion Harmon. But to see a guy like Jacob Young lead the way last night and not Will Richardson scoring wise, it's definitely a good sign for the squad. I think, you know, a lot of a lot of different guys for this team can lead the way offensively. And last night it happened to be Jacob Young. And so I think, you know, they'll continue to gel and the chemistry will continue to get better. But I think uh, I think last night was definitely another good sign for this team just continuing to improve throughout Pac-12 play and throughout the season. Another guy I really like uh, watching on on this year's Dan Altman squad is Frank Kepnong. Uh, you know, he's one of the younger big men on this Ducks squad. Uh, you know, uh, I, I believe he reclassified. Someone might have to check me on that. But either way, I know he early enrolled, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, Sean, so I think that speaks a lot about, you know, just where he's kind of at in his game. Cause when that guy flashes, it is super impressive to watch. Yeah. Um, you can tell he, he's kind of fortunate sometimes on the offensive end. I feel like uh, here and there, but I love how physical he is inside. Uh, he's uh, you know, a beast on the boards. He's definitely given the ducks uh, a huge boost in the rim protection uh, department. I know last year when I was covering the ducks in March madness, that that was kind of an area that they felt they were lacking in because of some of the injuries that they were battling and, and some of the departures that they had. Uh, and you know, now you got that that duo of Frank Kepdong and and, uh, and Folly Dante, and, and it feels like the Ducks are, are really able to get more of that interior presence going on both ends of the floor. Yeah, it's a nice one-two punch with him and Dante. And I think Kepdong, you mentioned some of his attributes. I think more than anything, he's just a ball of energy out there. I mean, you oh, see yeah. a play last night where he's like, how often do you see a center his size, you know, seven plus feet, 
running down the field, sprinting down the court, not the field, uh, to try to block a block a shot from behind. He was trying to block a layup from behind and nearly jumped over the guy that he was trying to block. I mean, you just don't see that from a center very often. So he's just he's a great spirit. He's a he's a great ball of energy for the team, a great leader for them. And, you know, he definitely is a, a nice complimentary piece next to Infali Dante and also Quincy Garrier. So it provides some size, but also some versatility down low. Quincy Garrier, uh, one of those new names that, uh, you know, uh, came over to Eugene uh, over the offseason. And I think he's he's really starting to, to find, you know, his footing with the Ducks. And coming over from Syracuse, he was – I feel like he was known for, uh, you know, his defense and, and just kind of being – uh, a, a you know big motor guy. I think that's kind of one of the things that stands out to me about his game. So he's looking like he's finding his stride. Ducks will now uh, stay out in the mountain area, right? You know, you're over in Colorado, and and now they're going to hit the road to Salt Lake City uh, for a game on Saturday, February 5th against the Utah Utes. That game is scheduled for a 5:30 tip, and you can watch that on Fox Sports One, and you can listen to it on the radio at Oregon Sports Network. Joey Mack and the crew always do a great job over there. And, and I like to listen to them during the games to uh, just kind of get a little bit more of, of that uh, uh, insight and what else is going on in this game. want to switch gears now, uh, Sean, uh, and, and talk about Oregon football and uh, Oregon football recruiting uh, in particular. Ducks just coming off of that 2022 National Signing Day. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it fireworks necessarily, but we definitely saw a, a pretty strong finish for Dan Lanning and his staff. Uh, with some new guys uh, hopping into the mix here in that 2022 glass class uh, and some former commits that uh, decided to uh, either hold off on uh, signing during the early signing period in December or some guys that reopened their recruitment entirely but uh, ultimately ended up coming back home. want to ask you, Sean, how is your uh, kind of mood right now? How are you feeling uh, after getting through National Signing Day uh, from an Oregon standpoint? I think the Ducks are in great hands. You know, I think my – my kind of crystal ball for what the season is going to look like next year has definitely improved. You know, I think a couple of weeks ago I was, uh, I had a little bit more of a rebuilding thought in my mind for next year's season, but after some of the pieces that they've added both in the portal and some of the recruits that they've added, I mean, I'm excited to talk about the secondary. I think that's where, um, you know, there's the most uh, to note right now with Florence being added, a couple other guys being added as well. Some really, really fast dudes in that secondary. And I think that's a place where Oregon really, really needed it. And then also Jordan James, you know, another running back. And the Ducks desperately needed a running back. You know, I'm not sure he's the answer for this upcoming season. I'm never sure about that with a true freshman. I think, you know, the transfer portal still might still might be helpful if the Ducks are looking for a, you know, a safe running back to have just in that room. But Jordan James was certainly a nice grab. You know, I was looking on 24-7 sports. That's a guy who had offers from Bama, from Georgia, obviously, decommitted there, Florida, all those big-time schools, Florida State, all those schools in the South, and he chose to go West to Oregon. So I thought it was a really good signing day. And then, of course, I'm excited to talk about you know, some of the interviews that we got with Joey Mack, you mentioned. And uh, I thought that was that was really neat to be able to get to know the coaches a little bit more on that day as well. We're definitely going to be talking some more about some of those names that you mentioned there, Sean. Uh, I think with uh, the way that we cover recruiting over on Ducks Digest, I think a lot of people kind of know, uh, you know some basics of, about those guys. But I definitely want to circle back to them as, as we talk about some more recruiting here a little bit later in the show. We are starting to get some comments and questions about recruiting. So uh, we do see you guys and we do want to get to those. But 
uh, I had something uh, else that I kind of wanted to hit on here before we get into uh, that area. And Sean, it's what you were talking about with, with those coach interviews. I think with, with the way that the transition kind of happened and with Lanning being over there in Athens, uh, you know, coaching, coaching up the Bulldogs and helping lead them to a national championship, the, the staff was really kind of assembled almost on the fly. That's not to say that they weren't, you know, thought out calculated hires, of course, but it's just crazy the, the fact that, you know, Lanning did it all while he was uh, with Georgia. And I think that's really going to serve as a, a cool beginning to his story here in Eugene. And, uh, you know, when we're, whenever he finishes coaching the Ducks, looking back on things. But I bring that up because we did finally get to, it really felt like meet and get to know these coaches a lot better, uh, you know, going through those interviews with, uh, you know, various coaches and, and Joey Mack over there on Oregon Sports Network. So the first guy that I kind of want to talk about, I, I think was, is probably one of the most intriguing names on this staff, given that I believe it was uh, one of uh, Dan Lanning's first hires. That's new offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Kenny Dillingham. What are your, some of your early thoughts on yeah. him and, and what we heard from him on uh, Wednesday? Yeah, speaking of all of energy, he was an awesome interview. It was really cool to get to know him and just kind of his background, how he got into coaching, but then also just his his vision for the identity of this offense. And I think, you know, uh, Joey mentioned it throughout that interview, but people, while he was talking about the vision for the offense, were just spamming like, 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 heart, 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 because I think it got a lot of Duck fans really excited. Uh, the fact that he wants to play with pace, he wants to, you know, I think, what was it, like 80 plays per game backs that he said he wants to run? And, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of thinking back to the early 2010s with Chip Kelly and the early Mark Elfridge days, how quickly the Ducks operated offensively. And so I think that got a lot of people excited. And, you know, he just talked about how it's just a playmaker's offense. And if you're a playmaker and, you know, if you're if you're electric, if you're a guy who is a tight end that can, you know, catch a catch a ball for 80 yards or something like that, I believe he said, or, you know, a receiver that can take a slant to the house from 90 yards, then you want to be at Oregon. So I think a lot of things that uh, he was saying made Duck fans want to run through a wall. And he was only one of a, a handful of coaches that really created that energy. And we're seeing that energy uh, all across this staff. You know, I talked on the last episode of the podcast uh, about how excited I was after hearing Carlos Lachlan tell a little bit about his story, his coaching philosophy, and, and what he kind of wants to instill in, in these Oregon running backs. Uh, you know, as far as Dillingham, though, I think the point that I want to stick on here for a sec, Sean, is that excitement and that fast-paced offense, that explosive offense, because that's really what I think kind of made Oregon relevant to a degree, right? You know, you talk about when when they were really at a – uh, one of their recent, most recent heights under Chip Kelly, it was because they had that revolutionary offense that that really had uh, captivated the entire college football landscape. And, and I think that they they want to get back to some of that because that identity still stayed with them. I think, honestly, kind of uh, to a surprising degree, when you look at how the offense has uh, performed and you know really been schemed uh, in the past couple of years under Cristobal, it was just run, 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 run. Uh, short passes, intermediate passes, and then we only saw a glimpse of you know some more that more explosion and an excitement in the Alamo Bowl when uh, Joe Moorhead really got to kind of uh, take the training wheels off because we know that uh, Crystal Ball was was definitely you know putting his foot down a little bit. But I think that that's awesome to hear if I'm a Duck fan because the Ducks got some awesome playmakers and they're just scratching the surface uh, of their potential. And I think the sky's the limit, especially with the wideouts. Yeah, yeah, I was going through just some of the some of the positional groups that the Ducks have right now. And, you know, I 
uh, Alum in the chat. I was also curious about Chase Cota. I was looking into that because that's a guy that I think, you know, would be would be a great addition from South Medford High School. And, you know, I think the Ducks could really use a boost in the uh, the receiving group right now because you got Franklin and you got um, – help me out here, Max. You got Troy Franklin. You got uh, Isaiah Crocker. You got Chris Hudson. I know I'm missing one other. Dante Thornton and Isaiah Dante Thornton. Right. So those are the guys that you have right now. And um, I think adding a guy like Chase Cotto would certainly help. But you got to be excited about kind of the big three of Franklin Thornton and Chris Hudson. And then in the the running back group, you know, you just added Jordan James. But then you have Byron Cardwell, who I think is going to be the true starter. Sean Dollars, Seven McGee. So that's kind of what you're looking at, unless I'm missing anyone, Max. But that's kind of what you're looking at in terms of positional groups. And in my eyes, I think Oregon could still look at the transfer portal to maybe add one veteran to each of those groups. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the receivers. Uh, that's definitely a group that I'm excited about. Let's go ahead and throw Alum's question up on the screen here. Alum, thanks for stopping by and spending some of your time with us. Thanks for your question. Alum says, hey, thanks for doing another live. Any news about that UCLA transfer wide receiver? Sean, you obviously mentioned that that's Chase Coda. And and I think I don't know of any new updates that are that are out there right yeah. now. Um, on him as, as far as, you know, what I've been able to gather personally. Um, but when I look at that, I, I think of a couple things, Sean. I think of the fact that Oregon needs a wide receiver. That's not to take away from the guys that are currently on the roster or say that they're not, they're not capable of, of, you know, producing. I just think you want that depth more than anything yeah. else because you can have a solid first line, but if a guy goes down at a moment's notice, you got to be able to replace him with somebody right. that can pick up right where he left off and, and not drop a step. So I definitely think that adding a guy – uh, on the recruiting trail, we're looking at Arliss Boardingham as kind of a hybrid flex guy that we've talked about a couple times. Uh, we're really waiting for a decision from him any minute now. That's Oregon and Florida and that one. But for Coda, Sean, I think that he does only have one year eligibility left. So that's, I think, probably one of the biggest things that the staff probably has to consider here. You know, looking short term this season, getting you know one good season out of him in 2022 versus, okay, do I hold off? and maybe keep spot for a guy in the 23 class. But it almost feels like it all, it makes too much sense for, for Coder to come back to Oregon. If you look right. at his story coming out of South Medford, how hard his the dad played him. He's a legacy exactly. guy. Yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. And he had a really good, he had a really good run at UCLA. I really liked him the last couple of years. You know, he was a guy that really produced under Chip Kelly. I don't know exactly what his numbers were, but he was a consistent starter for them. And, you know, I think if you're just thinking of kind of a story, you know, with Chase Coda, you go and play UCLA or you go and play for UCLA for a couple of years. You know, he didn't end up going to Oregon out of high school. But you have to remember that the Ducks weren't as in as good of a place, um, to put it nicely, when he came out of high school. And so he chooses to go to UCLA. But I think if you're just looking for a place to end your career, um, you know, it's kind of a, a one a one-year kind of last dance type deal. I think it makes total sense to uh, to pick Oregon here, but I could see him at another Pac-12 school as well. I think he's a West Coast guy. I don't I don't see him leaving the Pac-12 or Mountain West. Yeah, I think you know we have some uh, some stats for uh, Chase Coda in the 2021 season up on the screen here. If you guys are watching over on YouTube, uh, so last year 18 catches for 286 yards, only one touchdown, so nothing too crazy. Uh, from you know a, a stats perspective or uh, you know a production standpoint, but I think it does make a lot of sense, especially when you look at um, I don't know how this really factors in maybe in the transfer portal as much per se, but but Lanning has obviously prioritized in-state recruiting. You know you look at guys like safety Trajan Williams, 
uh, outside linebacker, Marion Winston. And um, you're also seeing guys like Justice Lowe from yeah. uh, Lake Oswego, that receiver. So uh, I, like we were saying, I think it does make a lot of sense from the, the story perspective. Um, but at the same time, you got to think about, uh, you know, roster management and, and how much you can ultimately get out of one year of, you know, best case scenario, like just game changer, Chase Coda, um, or another transfer wide receiver, for for example, versus maybe holding off or adding somebody late, like boarding him from the prep ranks. Yeah, no, I think I was looking at it. I think Coda is the one that's going to make the most sense here. But yeah, I'll be intrigued to see what they do in that receiver room. I think, you know, even more so than the running back room. You mentioned it. It's nothing to take away from Thornton or Franklin or Hudson. I think those three guys are super promising. I think Crocker even showed some signs at the end of the year. But we all saw what happened last year. Um, just all, all the injuries. You know, even at the end of last year, you lose Pittman in the transfer portal. You lose Red and Johnny Johnson the third. I believe right before the Utah game, and suddenly your receiver corpse is uh, it's pretty, it's pretty thin. And I think Low was the only guy that they got in the recruiting trail. So I think they could you know, afford to add one or two more guys to next year's squad. And I think Chase Cotto would be a nice fit. And you mentioned it, you know, wanting to Dan Lanning said with uh, in that interview yesterday, he said he wants to keep all the best guys in state within Oregon, you know, at Oregon. So I think it would make sense to bring Cota back. All right. Let's uh, kind of wrap up our thoughts on uh, offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham. We talked about just making that Oregon offense exciting again. Uh, he threw out the 80 plays a game. You know, we'll see if they ultimately end up attaining that. But um, just from getting to learn a little bit more about Kenny Dillingham's story, you know, you're looking at a guy who I feel like I'm, um, oh, man, uh, Chris Collinsworth. Hey, here's a guy. Uh, <laughs> he always cracks me up, man. He's hilarious. I used to really not care for him, but now I, I really like him. That's uh, my favorite know, NFL crew. Yeah, man. Uh, Al yeah. Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're the best. So side, side tangent, but with Dillingham, you know, you're looking at a guy who started coaching at 17 years old and he just was a, a sponge. He, he took any and every opportunity that he could get, went over at uh, Memphis and uh, Florida State, obviously. Um, but I'm just super excited because he, he has so much energy and, and I think Oregon's offensive identity is kind of due for uh, a little bit of a revamp. You know, I'm not saying something super drastically different. I think, you know, you still want to be a school that's known for running the ball, but maybe not to a fault, uh, as we saw, you know, under under Cristobal when, you know, there were probably some plays here and there that should have been pass plays um, or just more creative run plays. But he was talking also about, you know, the the era of, of social media and, and how big of a, a role that plays in recruiting. And he's like, you know, I can't, um, you know, I can't maybe – uh, get like into super specifics with when, you know, like a player commits or something. I can't remember the exact phrasing, but he was like, I can create excitement around this program and on social media uh, when guys visit, when guys commit uh, or someone's talking about the ducks. And and I think that was just such a unique insight into how social media has changed college athletics, college football, and really college football recruiting, especially when, you know, you have these dead periods, you can only get guys on campus for so long. And then you kind of uh, have to go through Zoom or, you know, phone calls, FaceTimes, what have you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's let's think out loud here, Max. The running back depth chart for next year. I think Cardwell's the number one guy, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I will say I'm guilty of kind of just falling into that myself. I think that's kind of the default right now. But if we're being totally honest, it's as open as it's ever been. Any one of those guys could easily be the number mm-hmm. one guy. Um, just because of the opportunity that's there. 
Harwell does make the most sense just because of the production that we saw last year. I think yeah, we just we just haven't seen dollars very much. Guy was yeah. an awesome recruit, and you know we've always heard great things. He just hasn't stayed healthy. He could easily be a stud. Yeah, yeah, he had that one big injury that that uh, you know obviously derailed that season, and we didn't get to see him on the field at all last year. I was shocked that we didn't see him in the Fiesta Bowl when I was out there in Arizona against Iowa State because CJ wasn't playing, um, and I thought he was available. But um, yeah, you know we we I, we have dollars and um, yeah. Carwell McGee, of course McGee. I think you know I correct me if I'm wrong, and you know feel free to to add in the chat, Eric. I don't I don't see him as a three down back. I think he's more of a uh, a DeAnthony Thomas type, maybe a Jalen Red type. Where you know Jalen Red didn't play a lot of back in his time at Oregon. He played more of a slot receiver, so maybe Red's not the most accurate comparison. But I think you know he's the home run hitter. He's not the guy that. On a first down and 10, you want to pick up a couple of yards. I don't really see that from McGee. I see him as kind of a, a home run hitter. So, you know, I, I certainly think he's in the mix as well. Yeah, I got some some seven McGee high school highlights oh, right go. now. Um, Rochester, New York. Yeah, yeah. So he he's um, he's one of the more, you know, unique guys on, on Oregon's roster. I, I think I kind of agree with you as far as the maybe not so much the traditional three down back. I, I think that you know, a guy like a Carwell or even now Jordan James, he's 5'10", 205. The guys who kind of have that bigger frame are naturally, I think, going to be lumped into that bell cow back, uh, workhorse back kind of a deal. Um, but McGee's, you know, one of the one of the kind of – he seems like a Swiss Army knife. Uh, I mean, you just saw that catch that he made right there as a as a wide receiver or a running back. He, he got moved out to wide receiver towards the end of the season when the Ducks were having some some depth issues, right, with the attrition that we saw and the injuries. Um and yeah, he's just, he's someone, I think where, where I wanted to go with this, Sean, is so many people, I think when they talk about Seven Miggy, they talk about DeAnthony Thomas and kind of wanting to be that next guy. I think where I kind of stand, and I'm very passionate about this point with, with Oregon's offense, is all the respect in the world to DeAnthony Thomas, that dude is a GOAT. He's awesome. I'm excited he's playing football again now, and I just saw you sign with the Canadian team. Yeah. <clears throat> but Oregon needs somebody to be the next someone. Oregon needs Seven McGee to be the next. Like you want people to be getting recruited by Oregon and saying, "I think he's going to be the next Seven McGee. I think he's going to be the next Byron Carwell or Sean Dollars." You know, put your name in there. I think they're at the point where they're kind of, at least from a fan's perspective, I think with the offense. Like, I don't want to say they're stuck in the past, but they're ready for that next big time playmaker. And, you know, maybe it is Seven McGee or some of these other guys that they're bringing in because they have so much talent on offense that's waiting to be unleashed. Yeah, I, I mean, an, another guy, and I really like the comment from Eric, make Noah Sewell, Derek Henry on fourth and one. I love that. That's awesome. Another guy that I think of when I see Seven McGee is uh, Taj Griffin. Remember him from, you know, yeah, four or five years yeah. ago? I think, from, I think. Uh, Georgia, I think. Powder Springs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taj Griffin was kind of a burner as well. And, you know, the Ducks maybe didn't use him as much as he should have been used. Um, but, you know, that's another another conversation to be had. But I think he's – that's another comparison for Seven McGee. But I think it's those three guys. And then you obviously have Jordan James as well. Time will tell to see, you know, how much he's in the mix. And I don't know. You think they look at the portal for another guy running back? Yeah. To spot? Yeah. I mean, real quick to, to talk about what you – I like the Taj Griffin comparison a lot. Um, you know, I was watching Oregon football when Todd Griffin was here and I, I wasn't able to go to the games. I, I was still in uh, undergrad uh, out in Spokane. Um, but I was literally telling myself, you know, and the people I was watching Oregon football with, if Oregon doesn't get this guy more involved, he is going to transfer. And that's exactly what happened. 
Um, he was, was he the one? Remember that heartbreaking Stanford loss? Um, start of 2018, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Start of 2018. The Ducks lose that game, and it was a heartbreaker. It was at Auton. You know, it was uh, it was one of the first games of the Mario Cristobal era. And after that game, kind of an underrated storyline is that Todd Griffin chose to transfer. He didn't get enough touches. That was him, right? Or am I thinking of another Oregon back? Well, um, I, I know Todd Griffin transferred. I think, right. Did he transfer to Georgia State, I want to say? I'm going to look this up a little bit because that's an interesting Which heartbreaking thing. Stanford loss. Yeah, 2018, the one at Autzen, uh, the Verdell fumble. Sorry to bring it up. But yeah, I think wow, Todd Griffin. recent. Yeah. Uh, Todd Griffin, I'm pretty sure he transferred right after that game. Just wasn't happy with his role. Okay, this says... Oh, this is from Hayden Herrera. He's a local guy. He tweeted, this is August 13th, 2019. So this was right after or after the 2018 season. Um, so that was his last part of partial season with Oregon. It says, former Oregon running back Taj Griffin is spending the 2019 season in, uh, with Central Oklahoma. Uh, so that's that's interesting for sure, seeing that he's, uh, you know, that, that was the school that he ended up at. Um, but uh I can't remember what my last point was going to be. I think I was going to talk about Jordan James, but I didn't know if you wanted to say anything else on, on Taj Griffin. Cause that dude was super nah, fun to watch. Just, I know he was just a random, he was a number one, all purpose. He was a number one, all purpose back uh, on, I think two, four, seven sports or one of the recruiting services coming out of high school. So um, I think also just, you know, an area we can talk about since we're talking about the backs. Um, I definitely want to touch on Jordan James a little bit. Uh, I'm just surprised that we have one position that is making this many headlines in the off season, right? It's just such a crazy deal with usually it's too many backs and, and not enough touches to go around. And and now I'm not saying they don't have enough backs, but for a while there, it was like, Hey, like we, the ducks need to add some, some dudes out there in the backfield. Uh, because ideally I think maybe, maybe, maybe ideally you don't want to have to put seven out there at wide receiver, but with the excitement and innovation that we're kind of hoping to see right in this 2022 season, maybe that's for the best to have, to have him out there, or at least have him out there more. Yeah, no, I think, I think they're going to use him, use him in both parts. I'm trying to think of, you know, Debo Samuel. I'm trying to think of a guy who can play slot and can play running back. I mean, Jalen red kind of comes to mind. He definitely got some handoffs, but I think that's how they use seven. I think seven's going to be a huge part of this offense. Like I think he is going to have a starting position on the football field. It's just a matter of what they want to do with him. I have no doubt Dillingham is going to make him a home run hitter and he's going to maximize the talents of seven McGee. I just wonder if it's going to be in the slot. Which, you know, we saw we saw some nice plays from Seven McGee in the slot um, this past year. We didn't see, like, his whole potential, obviously. But he made some nice plays down the stretch of that season. I uh, I just wonder, he's just kind of a Swiss Army knife. I wonder how they're going to use him. Yeah, no, he, he's going to be, he's he's a playmaker. And he said it as much at those press conferences that we covered. Um, you know, he's like, I just want the ball in my hands. We saw him covering, uh, returning punts. Uh, at the end of the year, you know, towards the end of the year when Micah Pittman elected to transfer. Um, but yeah, with, with a guy like Jordan James, I think I, I, I just want to go back to that point I said earlier that the running back room I don't think has ever been, hasn't been this open in a long, long time after, uh, you know, multiple years of CJ Verdell and Travis Dye, yeah. you know, who both played great at Oregon. Um, but you can see Jordan James uh, making some impact here out of the backfield as a receiver, uh, pass catcher uh, on that wheel route. 
And I think you, you just want to have as many guys as you can. And I think I didn't know, I never answered your question earlier, Sean, about the transfer portal and seeing if the ducks wanted to grab some guys uh, there. Um, Jared Broussard was the top, uh, you know, running back in the transfer portal that they were kind of going after, but he since ended up at Michigan state. So um, I, I think it, uh, if you're, if you're Oregon, you're definitely feeling a lot better about your running back, uh, you know, room now, but if they do chance choose to take another one, as we see Jordan James just barrel through the defenders here and stay on his feet. Um, you you got to have him. You, you're probably going to be pretty sure that he can contribute for you got for the team in 2022. Uh, I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I need to get better at the number, the number situation right now, because that's a question that keeps coming up and I need to do some more research on. So apologies to everyone for that. All right, let's see here. Okay. So we're talking about Dillingham and then, uh, how about we keep moving through some of these coaches that we got to uh, got to you know meet yesterday or on signing day? What do you say, Sean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. All right, let's see. Who do I who do I have next here in our show notes? Give me a second. Uh, wow, way too many tabs open. Maybe I closed it. That wouldn't be good. Um, hold on a second. Wow, I got to hear it for you, Max. You got Matt Pallage next. Okay, yeah, Matt Pallage. He he's. Uh, He's definitely one of the the coaches that I'm interested to see the kind of impact that he can have uh, originally from Huntsville, Texas. And uh, it's, you hear something like that and it's no shock that he's been kind of the face of Oregon's recruiting efforts in Texas right now. Um, you think about their late edition of uh, Kamari Terrell uh, out of Shoemaker High School in Killeen, Texas. Uh, that was a huge addition, you know, obviously the on-field impact, but, you know, a- apart from that on the recruiting trail, Ducks had five commits, Sean, at one point in this 2022 class from Texas. And uh, they all left after Crystal Ball, um, after Crystal Ball uh, took a new job. So big for the Oregon to get back into the state of Texas. And, um, you know, for Powledge, he was on uh, Billy Napier's staff uh, for, for a bit at uh, UL Lafayette. And, um, you know, they were one of the best programs uh, at that level. So, you know, this is a guy that, that you know, has a proven track record. And then um, I can't remember uh, his name, but he had he had one of the top safeties in the country at Baylor uh, for the top safety award. Um, I need to see if I can find that. But so you know what he's doing. He, you know he knows what he's doing. And he's a guy I'm real excited about coming to Eugene. Yeah, I, and I'm just really excited. try to search out what you were just talking about the safety i'll have to do that when i'm not talking here but yeah i mean um you look at the secondary room it's all sorts of dudes i mean you add in christian gonzalez which i think everyone agrees is a really nice fit dante manning coming back i think you know that's a guy who he was a five star if i'm not mistaken dante manning and you know he, he played some nice football his freshman year nothing crazy but i expect him to become a star with the departures of guys like mikhail wright and um, a couple other dudes as well. Um, Verone McKinley's gone. So Dante Manning should star in that secondary even more. You bring back uh, Avante Dickerson and Jalen Davies, two guys who kind of under the radar last year, didn't see the field too much, but were super high four-star recruits. Some of the best corners in their entire class. So the quarterback position, you know, Triquez Bridges as well. And hopefully I'm not missing anyone. Looks pretty solid. And then Bennett Williams at safety, Jamal Hill at safety, Brian Addison, Jeffrey Bossom. Maybe they slide him back there again, or maybe they keep him at linebacker. Who knows? We do know that he's going to start. Um, a lot of good dudes on this on this secondary. I think, you know, and a lot of them, I didn't even mention the freshmen that are coming in. 
um, you know, that we're going to probably spend most of this conversation on, but these guys can fly the freshmen. I mean, 24 seven sports, they have their, their hundred meter dash times or 200 meter times. And, you know, I'm a track and field guy, so I can attest to how fast those times are. You know, we're talking 10, seven fives, we're talking 21.5s. Um, so some dudes that can fly, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, you know, Demetrius Martin, I know we're talking about Powell, but when he was on the coaches show, uh, on National Signing Day, that was one of the things that he was, uh, you know, most passionate about uh, and most excited about adding uh, in these defensive backs, particularly at corner, um, that that speed and that length. But but with Pallage, this was another cool story um, that I think, you know, just I got to give Joey Mack props again because it, it was just we didn't get to know much about these coaches, but he had a heck of a first week after he got hired. Right, stick with me here, Sean. So Pallage gets hired. And then he goes to uh, play in the Sugar Bowl, you know, coach in the Sugar Bowl, rather, with Baylor on New Year's Day. They win that game. And he said he was on a flight to Eugene at 5 a.m. the next morning. Then he got married uh, on the 7th, and they took a three-day honeymoon in Lake Tahoe. And then, you know, time waits for no one. And uh, he's on the road recruiting like a madman along with the rest of the Oregon staff. How how crazy – how about that for a, a way to start off your uh, college coaching at, at a new stop? It's crazy, man. These guys have been working so hard. They've been busting their tails off. It's nuts. Man. It's super nuts. But yeah, we, oh, I looked up the the award that we were talking about um, and it was Jim, the Jim Thorpe Award. Um, I, I can't believe that took me a second to remember considering that Oregon's Verone McKinley was one of the finalists. Um, yeah, the Cincinnati guy won it. Yeah, the Cincinnati guy, Kobe Bryant, won it. Yeah. Um, over Verone McKinley and then Baylor, Baylor Safety, excuse me, Jalen Petrie. Uh, or Peter, I think it's Petrie. I don't, I don't know if I'm saying that one right. Uh, were, were you know other finalists for the award. So the fact that Powell had a guy on that list definitely speaks volumes to, to his ability as a coach. Um, and I'm really excited to see what he can do with obviously Bennett Williams is the biggest name to watch there uh, at, in the safety group, uh, but also Demetrius Martin, you know, a guy who's been all up and down the West Coast, all over the Pac-12, and and is a guy who who has proven that he can develop corners and um, you know get. Uh, you know, be successful at a high level. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Um, I think, you know, the corners are going to be, they're going to be awesome. You know, Mikey G in the chat said the Jalils are, they're lightning, no doubt. And Kamari Terrell as well. So it's pretty sweet. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's pivot a little bit. I definitely want to talk some more about these coaches, but Sean, just because we're getting some comments about uh, recruits, I think that that'd be a, it'd be a cool time to talk about them. What do you say? Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So Mikey G's comments here, uh, the Jaleels are uh, lightning. Um, they're lightning quick, no doubt about it. Um, you know, Lanny, I asked Lanning that question um, on signing day in that presser and just about the value that that having those speed guys really brings to his defense. And he said that speed's, you know, one of those things that doesn't change. And um, I think there were five guys that run a 10.7 or faster 100-meter uh, dash. I think that's the event that, that it's called. So. Mm-hmm. You're loading up the secondary with speed and, and length. I believe all three of the cornerback signees, uh, Jaleel Florence, Jaleel Tucker, and Kamari Terrell, uh, are all six foot or taller. Um, and uh, I think with, with Terrell, he's he's a guy that uh, multiple people I've talked to kind of view as maybe being a better fit for a safety. So I think that, that that's great. If you consider him a safety, you obviously have to see how that plays out. But him along with Trajan Williams, who's a, a ball hawk, really physical tackler. Um, but I think when we're looking at this hall in the secondary, 
I think we're <clears throat> we're seeing some guys that uh, that are capable of contributing early and, and making an impact, maybe even as freshmen. But I think that they really need some more of that help um, at corner after you see the departures of Mikel Wright and, and DJ James. So uh, let's let's kind of dig into that as far as you know Oregon's secondary kind of where they're at, Sean, after losing uh, a couple guys and, and maybe how they go about uh, filling in those holes. Absolutely. And by the way, Lanning kind of hinted that there's going to be some guys that are going to play football and track, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it shows their track times on 24-7. And just looking at Kamari Terrell's times, I would not be shocked if he was a track guy, if, you know, he committed his springs to uh, being at Hayward Field running track. I mean, he runs 46 seconds in the 400-meter dash, which I would argue is more impressive than 10.7. He also runs a 21-flat 200 meters. So if you guys, you know, listening to this right now aren't huge track guys, I can I can assure you those are uh, very, very impressive times. I wouldn't be surprised if Terrell and either of the Jalils really are, are going to be track guys. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, we got some tape for uh, Terrell here on the screen. And then uh, as far as, you know, uh, Tucker goes, I, I think, you know, with, with the fact that Florence was was a guy that uh, committed more recently here, right, Sean, people are, are a little bit more likely to kind of talk about him because he's a little bit fresher. But, you know, I, I was talking to, to one of his coaches and, and he was telling me, you know, I was just asking about him and that was the first thing he said was was the speed. You know, he, he can he can run with the best of them. And I think when you couple that with the playmaking ability, uh, the ball skills that that's something that's for sure going to stand out. I, I think with, with Tucker um, when I was talking to him during the recruiting process, before he made his decision, he was down to Oregon, Washington and Florida state. And the reason uh, interestingly that he had Florida state as one of those finalists is because they uh, were open to having him play wide receiver. And um, that was something that he was kind of looking at during the recruiting process. So the fact that you have a guy that's what I love about high school is that these guys so often play both sides of the ball. Um, but w- Tucker is a, a guy that definitely is, is worthy of some praise in his own right. He was an Adidas All-American and, um, you know, gets the Ducks back into San Diego. Not that they were ever really out of San Diego. They had Grayson Halton, who uh, eventually ended up flipping to Oklahoma. But getting at Lincoln, that school is just loaded with talent year in and year out. Um, and then, uh, with, with Terrell, you know, another, another speed guy, I think that some of these additions make a lot of sense, especially when you consider this, uh, I want to say it kind of seems like a revamped rivalry with Lincoln Riley and all the skill guys that he's bringing to SC. So again, let's just, let's just think out loud here, Max. Um, 
you know, just to kind of move subjects, if I will, um, if I can. Sure. Depth chart for the corners slash secondary. I think, you know, guys that are definitely going to start. I think Christian Gonzalez and Dante Manning are both going to start at the corner position. Um, assuming Manning's, you know, really developed the way we expect them to. I think Bennett Williams is a surefire starter at safety. Other than that, I mean, Triquez Bridges, I think, is a guy that is definitely going to see the field, starter or not. Um, and then I'm just curious about, you know, Avante Dickerson. How is he going to develop? He was a really high recruit. Jalen Davies, how is he going to come along in his second year? What do you see out of kind of the depth chart and the uh, defensive back room? Who do you think starts? And, you know, what are some of your predictions? Way too early predictions, by the way, for the secondary. Yeah, it's, it's way too early to, you know, for these predictions for sure. So I want to see what kind of develops in spring football and fall camp, but Bennett Williams obviously is the easiest one to, to peg as a starter. Uh, I think, you know, as we're here in the, in the off season in, in February. Um, but uh, yeah, I think Dante Manning makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think when you're looking at him and Triquez Bridges, uh, who both had flashes last year, you got to think about uh, Bridges being a former safety that they went to convert. So maybe since they do need to get, um, since they need to get uh, a safety in there to replace Verone, maybe they uh, decide to move uh, Bridges back to, to safety. Um, and then for, for other safeties that are, you know, available, um, you have uh, Jamal Hill, who, uh, you know, made some amazing plays against USC, who we were just talking about um, in the Pac-12 championship game in 2020. Yep. And I think that he definitely has a, a lot of uh, untapped potential that that's still there. He's still got some great football ahead of him, but we, we didn't see a whole lot out of him last year, which surprised me a little bit. I thought we would have seen him a little bit more involved, um, but you know, their safeties were, were pretty solid last year. So those are some guys to watch. And then Brian Addison is kind of a wild card. You know, I think that it's mm-hmm. weird because you have bridges who moved around. You have uh, Addison who was an athlete coming out of high school got some his first action against Auburn in night and 19 as a receiver. And we were talking about that knee that receiver, Sean, right? Maybe he'll, he'll come back to the offensive side of the ball, six foot five, like a 190 something pounds, I think. Mm-hmm. So maybe we see Addison move to receiver. He did get a pick last year to his credit. So I think that the safety room's a little bit more up in the air, but I do agree with you on Christian Gonzalez and, and Dante Manning. And then, maybe you're in the position to, to have one of these uh, freshmen incoming freshmen start uh, at cornerback. I, yeah. I think that, uh, I think that Jaleel Florence, um, man, I don't, I don't want to like say one's better than the other, but I think I'm just really excited about him and, and how polished he looks, uh, you know, from a technique standpoint, even though that said, he, he's only been playing, uh, I think it was playing defense for uh, a couple of years. So, you know, a lot of room to grow there, obviously. Yeah, I think just from an odd standpoint, you get a couple of really high four-star guys, three corners, uh, Terrell, Florence, and Tucker. Hope I'm not missing anyone. But I, I think the odds are that one of those guys is going to come in right away and, you know, like Javon Holland, like Thomas Graham Jr., like Michael Wright, could provide instant impact in that secondary. I don't think all of them will. I think some of them will have to develop a little bit, but I think the odds are at least one of those guys comes in and is awesome right away. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know if I'm in a position to predict who is going to be that person. Maybe it's Florence. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, one of those guys I, I would definitely predict to to start right away or maybe not start right away, but at least, you know, see, the field, see the field right away. Um, question for you is, is Gonzalez going to play safety or corner, you think? 
Uh, I think he's going to play corner. Um, I, I think when they announced him, um, it was as a as a cornerback. Let me let me see if I can do a little bit of digging here because he. Um, what am I what am I trying to say here? I think he was a safety recruit coming out of uh, high school. Let me let me do a little bit of research on the fly. Hang hang with me, everyone. Um, because if he was able, okay, so yeah, he was a, a he's listed as a safety on two four seven sports as a recruit, and then um, also as a player. Um, you know, sometimes when these guys transfer, they get taken off the the rosters. Uh, you know, at their old stops, which which makes sense, but it just makes it a little bit harder on me. You know, as a journalist looking for looking for a little bit of information, but <laughs> he he did play cornerback and he's listed as a cornerback on that yeah. roster at uh at Colorado. So I can confirm that. Um, I can't confirm that they're gonna, you know, use him at a corner, but I think that makes the most sense seeing that you need a veteran presence there, but you already have a veteran presence at safety, um, with, uh, Ben and Williams, obviously. And I think another note, uh, that's just interesting to add about the cornerbacks, Sean, is the fact that I, this might be the fastest and longest group of corners that Oregon's ever had. I mean, I don't know if I can say that for a fact, but you just look at the pieces that they're adding and uh, Christian Gonzalez is, is listed at 6'2". And then, like I said earlier, you have all the corners that they brought in in, in 22 uh, at 6' or, or taller, I believe. And they all have burners, man. As Dan Lanning says, they, they can scoot. Yeah, they can scoot. Just like his, his corners at Georgia could scoot. Some studs. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um. Let's see. What was the other area that I wanted to to hit on? Maybe we can do some of these questions. Um, yeah, I liked I liked you know um, I, I liked what uh, Eric said about the O line because that's an interesting point. A lot of the guys that are coming back this year, I mean, it makes that the O line is going to be awesome this year. You return the same starters, you know, Forsyth and Ryan Walk, all those guys, Bass, but those are all older dudes. You know, it, it's interesting to think about the long term future of the offensive line. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. So, uh, especially Eric's, since Cristobal's gone, without he's a doubt. The, yeah, he's the O-line guru. So, yeah, Eric's Eric's question here, uh, comment. You know, O line is interesting because we're great this year, but next year I don't know enough about the depth at that position. So, let's let's break it down here, Eric. So you got um, you know everybody coming back with the exception of George Moore, uh, who I think is playing in the Shrine Bowl tonight. Uh, Sean, I don't know if you yeah. saw that. I think Did I saw something that? about that. Yeah. Um, so kind of a, you know, another opportunity to, to watch George in, in action, you know, for, for duck fans out there. Um, I'm going to see if he, if he retweeted it or anything or, um, oh man, let me see if it, oh, okay. Um, February 3rd. Oh, okay. So it was yesterday. He played in the shrine bowl on the, on the third. Um, so I, I need to kind of see how that went, but, um, but yeah, okay, so offensive line for next year. Let's just throw some names out there. You got Steven Jones, who, mm-hmm. who saw a lot of action last year, um, you know, primarily at a right guard, I think it was, right guard, right tackle. Him and, and Sala were, were kind of uh, working in tandem there, um, and the Ducks moved a lot of pieces around throughout the year. But uh, you have Bass at a left guard who played a mm-hmm. lot of left tackle. Uh, you have Alex Forsythe, the general of the offensive line, coming back, which is huge, especially with yep. the new quarterback. You know, regardless of who they put out there, it's going to be a first-time Oregon starting quarterback. Yeah, uh, and that's your locker room leader. That's your that's your leader on this team, in my opinion, at least on the offense. You know, that's the guy that's going to represent you at media day. And, you know, he's just – him and Verone and Die. I thought, if you would agree with me, I mean, were the uh, kind of the best guys at media. 
but yeah, that's just a side point. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. I think so. Those are some other. Those are some guys. And then uh, right guard, you have Ryan Walk, who uh, you know kind of finished the season uh, injured and you know recovering, mm-hmm. unfortunately, after he got banged up against Washington. But he's a baller. And then you have Salah coming back. Molly Salah, Amavila mm-hmm. Ulu. I've gotten so good at saying that. I just want to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> a lot of the Polynesian names are, are hard to pronounce. And, and um, you know, one of the viewers, subscribers, uh, actually reached out to me the other day and said, hey, if you need any help pronouncing these, I'm, I'm here for you. So uh, shout out to Matt. You know who you are if you're watching this uh, or listening to this. I appreciate you. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of some of the pieces that we're looking at right now. Dawson Jeremillo. Dawson Jeremillo is, is a, a, a Swiss Army knife offensive lineman in a similar vein with Ryan Walk, who took over for Alex Forsyth when he was battling back spasms last year. I mean, we got to talk about that and how great he was doing. But Jackson another- Powers Johnson. Jackson Powers Johnson is, is kind of the wild card, right? You know, uh, Dan Lanning announced yesterday or on Wednesday, excuse me, that he's going to be playing on the defensive line to start out spring football. But I like the depth that they have right now, but um, that's why I think it's so big that you get Dave Uli back on signing day. Um, you know, just a massive dude, 6'5", 315, um, that probably projects it more as a tackle just with how big he is, I think. But, um, you know, we'll see what Wilson Love does with him once he gets here to Eugene and, and in a strength and conditioning program. And then you got Kavika Rogers uh, as well as Michael Wooten. So, Still, some pieces that they're they're bringing in in 2022. I'm not sure if any of those guys are, are going to be instant impact guys, but you want to keep bringing in that depth. The Ducks lost Logan Sagapolu to Miami, who followed Cristobal over there. Um, I don't think he got really any playing time at Oregon, so not a huge loss. But obviously, since we're looking big picture with this question at the future of the offensive line, something that that's worth uh, watching. Um, let's see. Um, you know, guy- just from thinking it out loud here, I feel better about it. You know, I think just all the names that you've mentioned, I think the Ducks are going to be fine uh, long-term wise. Uh, long-term at the offensive line position, I think they're going to be, you know, they brought in quite a few guys in this, or at least a couple of guys in this recruiting class. So, yeah. Yeah, just just some other names to, to hit on that we, we know of in that offensive line room. I'm trying to think about, you know, some stuff that maybe the coaches have said about them on the fly here. Um, but uh, you have Faope Laulu. Um, you know, he's a or Lalolu, La I don't I don't know his last name. I'm, I'm getting it mixed up with Sala. But you have Faope, um, who's just a massive individual. Uh, you have Jonah Miller, who came in out of Arizona in the 21 class. And you also have uh, Jonathan Dennis and uh, Bryce Harper. Um, and I think another thing that's really uh, in, important to keep in mind here, Sean, is that one thing that I think this, the last staff did a great job of and is going to pay off big time after this year as we look towards the future into 23, Mirabal and Cristobal made sure that those guys were cross-training all the time so that there's you know so much position versatility. And I think that'll really come into play here when the Ducks are kind of trying to set up that depth chart a little bit and they can really kind of plug and play guys at, at different spots. Um, and I think that's just going to be huge. Like That's definitely one of the, the things that the, the last staff that they did is going to have a lasting impact in Eugene. Yeah, you're exactly right. Not to mention, man, Josh Connerly, as Mikey G says here, thanks for, thanks for uh, making sure we talked about that, Mikey. Uh, I think that's a, a big name to watch too. You know, Michigan was heavily involved in his recruitment, you know, for people who don't know about Josh Connerly, 2022 five-star offensive lineman out of Rainier beach in the Seattle area. 
I wrote a story on him when he came to visit uh, Eugene in the fall. So you guys can go find that on Ducks Digest. Might have to dig around a little bit because it was in the fall. Um, but he's he's probably one of the biggest fish still left on the board um, for Oregon. I don't know if it makes sense to call a player a fish there, but you know, still someone that that the Ducks are looking to add along with you know Boardingham and and um, uh, I think that was the only other person I was thinking about. We talked about Coda a little bit, but. If you, get, if you can get Connerly, I think he's a guy who, you know, he's one of those guys that all the program's still involved. I think you probably make a spot for him. He's that good. And he's probably, you know, someone who could potentially make the case for contributing early. But who knows? Once you get to the college level, all the stars are gone, uh, which is something Lanning said, I believe, um, during that show. You know, all the stars are gone and it's time to work. Everyone's on that level playing field. All right, let's see here. Do you want to talk about Jackson Powers Johnson uh, going, you know, this whole story uh, with, with him kind of going to a uh, defense to start off spring? What do you think about that one, Sean? Yeah, well, let me ask you, let, let me let me flip this back to you, Max. What did you see? What did you, were you watching him closely during uh, the bowl game, during the Alamo Bowl? Like, what did you see out of him defensively? Were you at the Alamo Bowl, by the way? I was not at the Alamo Bowl, but I, I did watch it. Um, I Yeah, so that's, it's hard to, you know, judge this move too much just because we frankly haven't seen Powers Johnson playing defensive line very much. But I think it's it's a move that makes a lot of sense, especially for this season, mm-hmm. right, Sean? And we're just talking about how the offensive line is, is looking pretty solid. They still could add some pieces. And then going into 23, I'm not saying it's a concern, but, um, you know, definitely have a little bit more unknown there depending on, you know, when guys choose to come back and all that. But to, to Gerard's question here, thoughts on Jackson Powers Johnson starting spring ball on the defensive side. I think it's a move that makes a lot of sense. And obviously you're seeing how much Dan Lanning's prioritizing that uh, defensive line of scrimmage, right? Yeah. With the, the bodies that they've added, Sam Taimani, Jordan Riley from Nebraska. Um, and with, with Powers Johnson, probably <laughs> figure he's probably plays, you know, one of those interior spots. Um, I'm excited about it because he, he, when we did see him, uh, on the offensive line, I think he adjusted to the speed of the game really well, and he had some really high impact blocks on on a variety of, in a variety of those games. And uh, you know, we saw some tape during his recruitment of him on the defensive line, you know, in in the on the camp circuit. So I think all the potential is there. Um, we really just need to see a little bit more of a sample size. But that's kind of another uh, you know thing we, I'd like to talk about a little bit. Sean is the defensive line uh, outlook in twenty twenty two seeing that they lose KT and they're kind of reshuffling maybe some of these pieces with all the veterans they have coming back. Yeah. Just final thoughts on Jackson powers, Johnson. I think, you know, just my thought on it is if you have five dudes, you know, you have your core five guys that are coming back on the offensive line. And then you have a guy like Dawson Jaramillo, who's not even part of those five guys. And then you have all these young guys who, who knows how good they're going to be next year. Maybe they're good enough to play. There's already plenty of depth in the uh, the O-line room. And a guy like Jackson Powers Johnson deserves to see the football field. You know, he's just a really good football player and, you know, someone that works super hard and um, was really good on the offensive line last year. But if he has that ability to play D-line, I think you maybe move him over because I think the O-line is kind of set for this upcoming year. Now, if there was a couple of injuries and you wanted to move Jackson Powers Johnson back to the O-line, I think that's possible. But it'd be interesting to see what that's going to look like at practice, you know, whether he's going both sides at practice or whether it's going to be kind of a, a, a sporadic little switch that he has to make um, once, you know, if, if he was called up on the O-line. So that's my only concern 
Okay. Yeah. So we'll we'll see if how they end up using him. Um, you know, for the for the defensive line, I think that it's it's really pretty loaded. I mean, outside of of having a proven edge rusher, I think that's something this defensive line is still lacking. They have some bodies that can uh, take on that role, you know, with Kayvon Thibodeau going off to the NFL draft and and the prime candidate has to be DJ Johnson, right? You saw him uh, bouncing back and forth between offense and defense last year after making a bigger impact as a tight end in 2020 in 2020. Uh, but um, I think there's just so much untapped potential there, you know, and you get Dan Lanning, you, you get uh, Tony Tuioti and you get Tosh Lapoy to, to work with a guy like DJ Johnson. And they just got to be super excited about his skill set. Uh, you think back to the Ohio state game and he was one of the only guys to, to get one of two sacks for the ducks in that game. That was huge. So to get him back, I can't understand. I can't overstate how important that is as, as the ducks look to um, as the ducks look to ultimately, you know, try to fill those shoes of Kayvon Thibodeau leaving and, 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 you know, play, see what their defense looks like without him. Yeah. So why don't we move over to the D line? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, so are you talking about in the 2022 class? Well, yeah. And just the outlook for next year's defensive line, as you mentioned. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm looking at it now. You know, there's certainly dudes, but they, they obviously added, uh, they've added a lot to it. I think that's been one of the most, uh, the most meaningful contributions to this class. You know, they've added quite a few guys. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about some of those guys. So let's first talk about the guys that are coming back. For, for Oregon next year, you know, from the 2021 roster, uh, you got guys like Popo Amavai, um, who got a little bit banged up at the end of last year, I believe. I uh, don't think he played in the Alamo Bowl, but when he announced that he was coming back, I mean, everyone was super excited about that. Uh, you got Brandon Dorless, who is another huge name to come back. I, I think he's really just taken a step each year that he's been here. And I think that we really, you know, hopefully can see him become a dominant force um, you know, more consistently for the Ducks, but he's a guy I'm super excited about coming out of Florida. That's a place I keep saying the Ducks have to get back to, which is easier said than done. Uh, I'm not going to be unreasonable here, but uh, Florida has ballers for sure every year. So Brandon Doros is a guy I'm excited about. Keon Ware Hudson, he flashed a little bit. Uh, Christian Williams uh, along the defensive line. I'm trying to make sure I'm not forgetting anybody that, that was Swinson. on. Braden Swinson, yeah, kind of coming off the edge a little bit. You know, those hybrid guys. You got Mace Funa and, and uh, Trevin Mae, who's uh, really transformed his body since coming to Oregon. I think he's like 6'4", 250 now in that area. Um, but look at the transfer additions that they made, man. You know, Sam Taimani and, and Jordan Riley are both guys that are 300-plus. So you can tell how uh, important it's going to be for Lanning to, to really win that battle at the line of scrimmage, a battle that I think they've won a lot more on the offensive side than the defensive side in recent years. Yeah, I feel good about the interior, you know, with Amava, uh, Popo Amavai coming back and uh, adding Sam Taimani. But who's going to get after the quarterback now that Kayvon's gone? That's my biggest question, Mark. Who's going to be the guy that leads this team in sacks? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely turned to, to DJ Johnson, who I already mentioned. Mikey G did a great job of reminding me here. Brandon Buckner is a guy that I'm super excited about. Um, you know, he was just, I think he, he was, you know, a lot of people maybe think he was a little undersized coming out of high school, but man, that dude had some awesome technique. You think about his dad being an NFL defensive line coach, he's getting trained up by the best. Um, so look for him to, to make an impact next year. He got some snaps in that uh, Ohio state game when, when KT was hurt. So, what does that say about the staff, you know, being able to, to turn to a true freshman in that scenario on a huge stage? Um, but yeah, there, there's a, a lot of guys that are still here. 
um, that on the roster that are capable of, you know, becoming that, that next pass rusher. I just think a lot of people probably got a, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, concerned when, when you see KT leave and then a guy that Oregon was in prime position to land in Cyrus Moss, ultimately following Mario out to Miami. And he was yeah. a prime, prime edge rusher candidate. Yeah, that was, that was a big win for Cristobal, you know, not there, there haven't been a ton of them lately you know he still needs to fill out his coaching staff but that's another side tangent but uh yeah Cyrus Moss was certainly a, a big a big win yeah I see a, another couple of questions here that I was thinking would be cool to talk about Sean I know I mentioned an hour when I reached out to you how, how are you doing time wise maybe oh, like, I'm great I'm great okay maybe we can do like another 10 minutes or so and, and uh get to some of these questions uh guys thank you so much for coming into live chat here sorry I, I can't get to all of these but Christopher has an interesting question Max, uh, what would be the best way for the Ducks to shore up the middle, shore up maybe uh, the middle of the field, scheme or athletes? Because we got killed the slants and seam routes all last year. Um, I'm I'm very interested to see how they tackle that. Um, you know, I think it's probably going to be a mixture of both, right? You know, I think there were definitely some coverages uh, from Tim DeRuiter that kind of had me scratching my head a little bit. You know, people think back to KT dropping back in coverage. Not sure that was the best way to utilize him. Um, considering he was the you know the only consistent pass rushing presence that the Ducks had last year, I would go as far as saying. But with, with Dan Lanning just being heralded as an X's and O's guy, a brilliant football mind, I think that we'll definitely see that be an area that he wants to tackle, right, Christopher? Um, and, and I also think that um, you're bringing in some big athletes, right? I think that uh, Noah Sewell is obviously the, the face of this defense, the best player on this defense, without a doubt, heading into next year. Um, but the linebacker core as a whole, I think, uh, you know, left a little bit to be desired in, in the area of coverage. You know, let's just call it what it is. I think that's a, an area that they obviously want to improve on a, a lot. Um, we're hoping to see, you know, a healthy Justin Flow, right? We didn't get yeah. to see Justin Justin Flow and, and Noah Sewell. We got to see it for a half, and it was a tremendous, uh, you know, um, production from them with all the fun fumbles that they had against Fresno State. Um, but you look at some of these guys that they're bringing in, um, you know, I think about Devin Jackson being, uh, you know, uh, a little bit slighter of frame at 6'2", 200, and I don't think that's a bad thing, right? You look at Jeffrey Bossa, who came down from the secondary last year, and he was one of the the better coverage linebackers that they had um, just because he was a little bit lighter. You know, obviously makes sense logically easier to move around. Um, so maybe we kind of see a similar case with uh, Devin Jackson, who was an All-American coming out of high school. And, um, you know, Harrison Taggart's a guy who can who can really move around a lot, too. So, I think uh, shoring up the middle of the field, I obviously talk about the crazy presence that I think they're going to have uh, along the interior of the defensive line. Um, but, you know, you got you to gotta make sure that uh, coverage is something that the, the linebackers elevate. Yeah, if I'm, if I'm a Duck fan, the dream scenario is Flo stays healthy. This is going to be a big year for Justin Flo. I mean, we haven't really seen him healthy in his two years with Oregon. This is going to be a big NFL draft year for him as well, being a third-year guy. And then you have Sewell, you have Mace Funa hopefully staying healthy. You got Keith Brown. And then you got, yeah, I mean, those are kind of your four main linebackers. And then you have some other supplemental pieces. And then you can move Jeffrey Bossa back to safety. I think that would be, because that's his natural position, right, Max? So I think it would be a huge help to have Bossa back at safety. And, you know, Keith Brown is a guy that I just mentioned. That's someone that I think is super exciting. You know, that's, that's going to be a second-year guy who – provided some big contributions in his first year. So there's certainly some pieces there. And I think ideally you move Bossa back to safety with Flo and some of those other guys staying healthy. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, 
that's a really, I mean, Bossa, I can't believe we didn't even talk because we didn't talk about him, right? When we were looking at the secondary earlier in the show. Yeah, I may have mentioned him, but yeah, maybe you did. So I apologize. Our, bra- our brains think he's a linebacker now, but he's, you know, a safety is his natural spot. Yeah, he, uh, we did a little cool, uh, you know, feature on, on Ducks Digest, you know, for our like player of the year awards and stuff. And, and Jeffrey Bossa was the defensive freshman of the year. Probably, uh, you know, not a hot take by any means. You know, he was definitely just a, a showstopper for the Ducks. But maybe that is an option for them to explore is moving Bossa back to um, safety. But another guy that we definitely want to mention didn't get a lot of time last year is Jabril McNeil. Um, he's mm-hmm. a, a freshman linebacker out of Raleigh, North Carolina. He was a guy I was super excited about when um, when the Ducks signed him just because he's so athletic. I think he was a three-sport athlete in high school from, from what I remember talking to him when I covered him as a recruit. He uh, played football, basketball, and baseball. That was part of the reason he didn't enroll early like a lot of these 2021 guys did. Um, but he's another guy that you got to think about, 6'4", 212 on the 2021 roster. Um, but – I think that I'm feeling pretty decent about the linebackers. Um, you, know, you got Adrian Jackson, who's coming back. Hopefully he can put it together. And uh, Jonathan Lowe, the, the younger of the Flow brothers. Um, haven't seen a, a whole bunch of him. Uh, but uh, yeah, and then Jackson LaDuke. How could we talk about the linebackers without him? You know, he was gone. Uh, he was yeah. injured most of the year. And, and then he, he looked like he kind of picked up uh, pretty well for, for a younger guy when he got uh, healthy again. Yeah, my bad. Forgot Jackson LaDuke. I think he should be a great piece this year. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, there's definitely th- those names there. I feel like, I don't know why I wasn't really thinking much about the... I hadn't been thinking a whole lot about the linebackers because that wasn't a name, you know, a position that they addressed super heavily on the recruiting trail. And, you know, now you can see why, right? Um, yeah, Mikey G says the defense is capable of being the best in the league. What do you think, Max? Who else? Yeah. Who else comes to mind? Who else comes to mind? Utah? Um, you know, I don't think USC, I think USC is going to be more offense. Um, yeah, I think who could be, who could be a really good defense this year. You definitely got to throw Utah out there. I mean, the one thing interesting with Utah is I think that after the, they they lose Lloyd. Yeah. They lose Lloyd and Sewell. You know, they had a Sewell of their own over there in Nephi, I believe. Um, but I, I believe that most of that staff has, uh, stuck together. Um, you know, Sean, did you hear a lot of the chatter about what, what, uh, Kyle Whittingham retiring after last year? I thought that was like kind of a rumor that was buzzing around a little bit, but it doesn't look like that's the case from, from what I've seen. You know, just a quick Whittingham um, nugget. I just – could you see him being an NFL guy? I, I don't know. I just came to my mind. I'm a Dolphins fan, and so when the Dolphins had their head coaching vacancy open, just but for whatever reason, after I guess the Ducks got thrashed by Utah twice, my brain just flashed Kyle Whittingham. But anyways, that's just a side note. Um, but, you know, I, I, I didn't see any retirement news from him. Yeah, no, I, I don't think – I don't really think I see Whittingham as a per, as an NFL guy personally, not because he doesn't have the ability. Obviously, he's one of the best coaches in, in the Pac-12 and probably college football. He just doesn't get, you know, the praise that he deserves, the recognition he deserves. Um, but I think for, for Whittingham, it's a special situation, you know, seeing that uh, he's been at Utah for so long. Uh, you know, helps the Utes take home their first Pac-12 title since joining the conference um, and, you know, played a heck of a game in the Rose Bowl against Ohio State. I just think it, it probably means more to him to, to be in that Utah community. Uh, you know, I could be totally wrong and maybe we see that headline, um, you know, tomorrow. But I feel like a lot of those NFL jobs are, are getting uh, filled pretty quickly over this past week. But I think Utah has definitely got to be in that conversation. But 
there's not really any other teams in the Pac-12 that I that I can think of that that really flashed uh, defensively and no. maybe Washington in the past, but with the yeah. more, I feel like there's going to be more of a focus on um I think on Washington, offense, especially they're be with bad the secondary. Next year, man, they're going to be bad. I think yeah, they're losing some guys to the NFL. You know, some of their studs um, defensively. So. No, and their recruiting is just you. I know you know about it, Max, but they're they're in a tough spot. Yeah, I I, I can't really think, man. I can't think of you know what defenses are going to be dominant in the uh, Pac-12. I think it's Oregon and Utah. Yeah, and you got to think that the Ducks just have you know some amazing talent on the roster uh, already. Let's oh, look at Eric here. Uh, UW finished ninety third in the country in recruiting. Um, yeah, right that, next to that, like. Montana State Tech and you know Rice and whatever whatever schools you want to throw out there Tacoma Community College (laughs) (laughs) bow bow down right I mean I think that's a funny thing let's talk about this Sean I don't know why for whatever reason I feel like um Oregon fans just love they just love wallowing in um you know Washington's misery we might have lost uh Sean here for a second um, so I might need to, I might need to, to ad lib here and, and see what's going on, but hopefully I can get Sean back soon. Um, let me just text him real quick. We had uh, some technical difficulties earlier in the week. Okay. It looks like we got Sean back. All right. Everybody I'm back. Okay, cool. I, 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 it kicked you off the screen, but what I was saying, Sean, I just, what do you think about how much Oregon fans and you dub fans alike? I mean, it feels like Oregon fans love to, uh, wallow to, you know, uh, they love when UW's down, and they they just love to uh, you know kind of kick them while they're down. And then UW likes to do the same when Oregon's down, but it feels like UW's down a whole lot more. I was thinking about this. It's the best rivalry in the Pac-12 for sure. I mean, like Oregon, Oregon State. It feels like that's a friendlier rivalry. UCLA, USC. That's that's a rivalry for sure. I I don't think it's as good. You know, Arizona, Arizona State. I, I think it's the best rivalry in the Pac-12 for sure. But it's just uh, it's two teams that have had some success in the past decade. You know, two teams that have reached the college football playoff. And, you know, they've kind of been good at different times. But recently, they've had a couple of good battles uh, the past couple of years. But for the most part, you know, it's just been like Oregon's really good. They'll dominate Washington. And then Washington got really good for a couple of years. They'll dominate Oregon while they were down. And now it's like Oregon's pretty good. And. You know, if not really good, and you know Washington's pretty down right now, so Oregon seems to have the upper hand. But yeah, I, it is funny how nasty it is. You know, I think about the Jake Browning point. Um, you know, back in '16, I think about Troy Die um, doing the dubs down and Dylan Mitchell doing the dubs down. So you kind of go back and, and forth, and then the academic prowess thing. Yeah, Sewell as well, the academic prowess thing. So a lot of different kind of viral jabs back and forth. I'm looking at some of these funny comments that are that are coming in, uh, Sean. Got we got to wind down here in just a few. Carrie uh, says neutral pack fan here for all the Fuskies trash talk. Uh, Mikey G says hashtag relegated. Eric says I want every I want UW to lose every game. Any other pack team can win unless it's against us. Jimmy Lake really reignited that last year. Yeah. Um, let me see. Um. Arizona State Utah is a very intense rivalry, low key. Really? Nothing nothing out west rivals Fusky's trash talk. <laughs> Let me see if I can um I want Arizona to see if I can... State Utah. Interesting. I never thought about that one. I always thought it was Colorado Utah. 
I'm gonna see if I can find this uh this UW video. Give me just a second. Yeah, Legalized Quack makes some good content. He makes amazing content. Um, just give me a sec to see if I can find this here. Um, it might take me a minute. Uh, maybe it was after they hired. Was it after they hired their guy or? Hmm. Oh, here we go. Okay, hold on. This we'll watch this video and then we'll uh you know do all of our our wrap. Okay. Uh, I think that's a good a good way to to end it here. So give me just a second. This is the video that you're probably talking about. Oh wait, we don't have the video the volume here, do we? You had it. Can you hear it? You had it. I had to hear it for a second. There it is. Oh shoot! There's too much. There's too much overlap because I have uh, the show open in another tab to keep it to keep it uh to monitor it. So we're gonna kill that for now. Uh, sorry that the screen share didn't work as successfully as I wanted to. Um, you still got me, okay, Sean? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, cool. Uh, but before we get out of here, Sean, um, you know where where can people find more of you if they want to connect with you and uh, you know what you got going on right now? At the moment, Max, I'm on a job search, so I'm uh, I'm kind of laying low right now. I used to I used to cover the Ducks all the time back in college, but um, you know, follow me on Twitter at SeanMac underscore nineteen. Give me a follow and uh, yeah, reach out. But uh, as of right now, I'm not doing a ton of this stuff. That's why it was great to be back. Well, we we loved having you here, Sean. Hopefully, going to bring you on a whole heck of a lot more. Uh, we were live. We did a live stream and, and a podcast uh, every day this week, Monday through Friday. So very proud of that. If you guys want to find more of me, you know you can find me on Twitter at mtorussports. That name right there on your screen. And then uh, also go make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel if you guys are watching here. Thanks for watching. Uh, it's at Oregon Football Max Taurus. It only takes a second out of your day and uh, is a tremendous help for me. So go ahead and subscribe to the channel for sure. Um, and then you can also find more Oregon Ducks content at Ducks Digest. If you guys want to see the written content, we have tons of uh, signing day coverage from earlier this week. Uh, and we're already turning the page to look into 2023. We got hoops coverage. So that's awesome. And then lock us in on all the social media platforms. We're at Ducks Digest on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're also doing a follow back Friday right now on our Ducks Digest Twitter account. So looking to grow the community there. And then I have uh, one last thing to ask you guys, go head on over to Ducks Digest forums. Uh, it's our free message board and that's where we can really try to uh, grow the community and um, trying to get that going a little bit more. So go on over there and uh, connect with us over there. But uh, that's all I have for this episode of the podcast. You guys, I don't know why I'm pointing at the screen so much, but maybe that means that we need to, to wrap it up. But thank you guys so much for all your support. It's uh, tremendously appreciated. And uh, we will see you guys in the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Thanks for Sean. Thanks to Sean for hopping on. And we will see you guys later. Have a good weekend.